0: Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, May 15th. I'm Nyla Budu. Today on the show, planning for the next COVID-level shock to the economy. But first, why the world is watching Turkey's elections? That's today's One Big Thing. The Turkish presidential elections look to be headed to a runoff after Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and opposition leader Kemal Kehlic Darlu didn't reach the majority of votes needed for yesterday's election. This is President Erdogan's biggest challenge yet after two decades in power. And here with what this election means not just for an important NATO ally, but also global democracy, is Axios's Dave Lawler. Hi, Dave. Hi, Naila. Why are there such high stakes in this Turkish election?
1: So Erdogan has been in power now for two decades. Over that time, he has brought Turkey arguably in a more authoritarian direction, particularly in the last oh, five years or so, during which time there was a failed coup attempt against him. He really cracked down on any opposition inside the country, and he moved Turkey to a presidential system from a parliamentary system that put a lot more power in his hands. And so a lot of observers say that If the opposition can win this election, there might be a chance for a reset to get back to a parliamentary system, which is what the opposition has suggested, and to try to, you know, reassert these democratic principles as well as reestablish the better relations with Europe and the United States that existed previously. But the flip side is, if Erdogan wins this chance to unseat him that the opposition had this time, maybe it won't come again in five years because he will have such a stronghold over the power of the country.
0: By some accounts, I saw there was a very high voter turnout. This was a free and fair election.
1: Very, very high voter turnout. This was not necessarily a fair election because Erdogan has control of most of the media in the country. There are, are accusations. He sort of uses the power and finances of the state in order to boost his own campaign. And so the opposition was not exactly working off of a level playing field. But Turkey does have quite a transparent system for the counting of votes, at which both parties are present when the votes are counted, perhaps free but not fair. And Erdogan has said that he will respect uh, the results of the election. Of course, the opposition has its doubts about how Erdogan will act if he loses. That's why they were hoping for a pretty emphatic result. They certainly didn't get that in the first round.
0: Dave, can you give us some context here? Turkey's in an economic crisis. Of course, there was the devastating earthquake earlier this year. How much does all of that come into play for these elections?
1: Yeah. So Turkey has incredibly high inflation, one of the highest inflation rates in the world. Erdogan has a very unorthodox approach uh, to monetary policy. He actually says that when inflation is high, you should cut interest rates. So again, that is not what the Federal Reserve in the United States seems to think. Uh, His critics say that he's in part to blame for the high inflation in Turkey. Then you have the earthquake, which again, was a very devastating event and would have been under any circumstances, but the government response was relatively slow and all, Also, there were accusations that a lot of the buildings that collapsed were covered in these amnesties that Erdogan issued on building codes to give people an incentive to build more buildings and worry less about the quality of that construction. And so these are the accusations that were coming in against Erdogan ahead of the election. Of course, he has very different views on these two issues, but certainly those are two things that would have been on voters' minds when they went to the polls.
0: Dave, I mentioned Turkey is a key NATO ally. What could the results of this election mean for NATO, for the U.S., as well as for Russia?
1: So Turkey, not only within NATO, but in Europe and the Middle East, is a really crucial actor. If you think just in terms of the war in Ukraine, Erdogan has kept Sweden out of NATO. He's brokered this grain deal between Ukraine and Russia to help get some grain out of Ukraine, and he's also armed the Ukrainians with drones. And so these are three aspects of the war in Ukraine that are quite critical that Erdogan has played a big role in. You could apply that to other countries. He has a big role in Syria, in Libya, etc. Erdogan's a pretty big geopolitical player in the world, sometimes in ways that the United States likes, as with the grain deal, sometimes in ways that the United States objects to as in keeping Sweden out of NATO. So he's been a thorn in the side, as well as an ally to the West over his 20 years in power.
0: Axios' senior world news reporter Dave Lawler. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nyla. In a moment, expecting the unexpected for our economy. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Uncertainty about the future of AI is creeping into almost all areas of life, from interpersonal relationships to politics and beyond. And as we look ahead to a world changed by that technology, Axios's Felix Salmon says we can learn a lot by looking back at a recent world-altering event, the COVID-19 pandemic. He's here to explain. Hi, Felix.
2: Good morning, Nyla.
0: So Felix, let's start with something you just wrote a book about. How COVID changed the world and specifically the economy. You call this the Phoenix economy. What does that mean?
2: That means the the world was spinning along at a very high velocity and then one day it basically stopped. It came to a crashing halt. Supply chains broke. Everyone stopped moving. The economy fell off a cliff. We had Unemployment through the roof, and we were being told that we could be entering a greater depression, worse than the Great Depression of the 1930s. And we didn't. And the reason we didn't was because we rebuilt something new. We did not manage to recreate the old economy that we had in 2019, but we built something new a whole bunch of phoenixes rising from the ashes that was the COVID recession and the COVID pandemic. One of the symptoms of trauma is memory loss. We don't remember how bad it was in those early months of 2020. And because of that, we don't realize the degree to which there really was just a pile of ashes from which we needed to recover.
0: One of the things that's most intriguing to me reading your new book is your sense that we need to be able to figure out how to anticipate the unexpected. So how do we do that? Because I feel like the definition of the unexpected usually precludes us from knowing about it.
2: Absolutely, You, you can't predict unexpected. We know that the unexpected is going to happen. And one of the big theses of the book is that these really big unexpected events are going to happen with increasing frequency, that we aren't going to have that relative stability that we saw after the Second World War. We're going to have much more volatility. But what I do think is that we can be a little bit nimbler on our feet, that we can recognize something new when it happens and try and be willing to change our minds about things much more than historically we've been willing to do.
0: So how has that shaped what you're thinking now as everyone's having all these conversations about generative AI?
2: So this is a really good example of people being very willing to change their mind about like, oh my god, this could be an existential threat. This could transform productivity. It could have massive upsides. It could have massive downsides. We really don't know. And we need to be nimble and on our feet and be able to react to however it goes. But I do think that AI is definitely one of those big potential threats and or opportunities that the world is going to be facing in coming decades, and that has kind of been brought into sharper focus by these crazy past three years that we've lived in. There are other ones, obviously, global warming is one. A potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan is one. You know, we're within weeks of a possible debt default by the U.S., which would be you know a major event. And there's lots of crazy outlier events that we haven't even thought of.
0: What upsides are there when you look at our economy right now in this age of unpredictability?
2: So one of the upsides is that there is just a huge amount of really positive risk-taking in the economy. We saw enormous amounts of new company formation, people starting companies, quitting their jobs, starting new companies, following their dreams. And you don't need many of those to be successful for the economy as a whole to really benefit. Right now, especially, we see the really big businesses doing massive layoffs, whether it's Google or Facebook or Amazon, and we see the small businesses driving these incredibly positive jobs reports numbers that we've been seeing. So there's a lot of positive risk-taking to go along with the negative risk-taking. There's negative risk-taking too. The way that capitalism works and the way that risk works is that normally the upsides are bigger than the downsides, and that's why I'm optimistic. Even if you go back to your example of AI, the potential upside of AI in terms of just Giving us all these bionic powers in terms of being able to do these things for us that take us hours right now and it can just do in seconds, it's an unbelievably powerful and it's it could just transform the economy.
0: Felix Salmon is Axios's chief financial correspondent, and his new book is called *The Phoenix Economy: Work, Life, and Money in the New Not Normal*. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, Nyla. That's it for us today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Five years ago, when Tasha Adams was leaving her husband, the founder of Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, she kept it a secret. The one person she told outside her family, the ex-wife of Firebrand, Alex Jones. This week on the Death, Sex, and Money podcast, hear these two women in conversation for the first time and Tasha's plans for watching Stuart Rhodes sentencing this month for his role in January 6th. That's on Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts.